Support for this podcast comes from the Florida Atlantic University College of Business, home to over 8,000 students, seven departments, six centers, and an impressive offering of interdisciplinary and professional development programs taught by the college's world-class faculty. Learn more at business.fau.edu. Welcome to What's Happening at FAU Business. I'm Dr. Michael Crane, and I'm on the faculty in the School of Accounting and the director of FAU Center for Forensic Accounting. Our guest today is Rob Valdez. Rob is an alumnus of FAU, where he received his Master's of Accounting degree. He's also an adjunct instructor in forensic accounting and data analytics here at the university in the School of Accounting Executive Program. Rob works for Kaufman Rosin, a Miami-based accounting and consulting firm where he consults with clients in cybersecurity and business automation. Today, we discuss what businesses might be doing to protect themselves from cyber criminals during the COVID-19 pandemic and beyond, and how managers might review their business processes to accommodate workforce changes arising from the shock of this pandemic. If you want to learn more about forensic accounting, follow us on Twitter at FAU Forensic CTR. Again, our Twitter name is at sign FAU Forensic CTR. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy our interview with Rob Valdez. Rob, welcome to What's Happening at FAU Business. Can you tell us? how you moved from getting your master's in accounting degree at FAU to becoming a licensed CPA to now working in cybersecurity and business automation? Certainly. Before I became a CPA, my experience included accounting and analysis for a custom software development firm and also for a technology solution provider. That's when I started doing my master's in accounting at FAU and also when I entered into public accounting, uh, doing financial statement audits. So my interest and experience caused me to gravitate towards information system aspects of the audit and towards understanding, examining internal control through engagements like stock reports. All right. Well, good. Let's turn to present circumstances. We're in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. We might be subject to that for some time. We hear a lot of advice for remote workers about their computer and computer security, Zoom bombing and that sort of thing. And your focus is more on the business aspect, the organizational aspect. So we often hear advice given for these remote workers of how to protect themselves, their computers, the data that they're working with. How does cybersecurity advice for businesses and non-for-profit organizations differ from advice given to such remote workers? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question uh, because before the world kind of went into lockdown, a primary difference was the, the systems and the network where someone was working. A lot of business was done on the corporate networks and or in the cloud and personal affairs were for the most part handled on home networks. Now, an enormous amount of business is being done on home networks and adoption of cloud service for things like video conferencing, like you're mentioning, and collaborative workspaces like Office 365 and G Suite uh, proliferated very, very quickly. 
And so organizations, as opposed to the individual, organizations have to look at this from a, a governance perspective uh, through their policies and procedures, through communications, uh, through understanding their risk appetite and tolerance and actually managing that risk. And then, of course, monitoring what they're doing to control the risk of, of having that change in environment and effectively the expansion and adoption and extension of their corporate network to now include all these home networks all over the place and all these home devices. And that can bring into the picture a, a lot of complexity, although the same principles are used to govern security, whether it's uh, in the more traditional local area network and then hybrid cloud and then now, I guess, the, the multi-network uh, that people, that organizations are faced with. All right. Interesting. So you're helping businesses as a consultant set policies and procedures on information technology, IT, of to sort of balance out the trade-offs between what they should do and what they can do. Oh, we'll, yeah. We'll get into the, some of those policies and procedures in a moment. Now, what are you telling organizations to do during the COVID pandemic to reduce their cybersecurity risks? Yeah, for for organizations, the the adoption of these cloud services, especially, uh, needs to be carefully implemented. Uh, they need to make sure that the that the risk of whatever new service or whatever new technology or platform is aligned to their actual risk tolerance as they understand it, and that the threats are understood and hopefully mitigated where necessary, and that policies and procedures are communicated to users. So. You know, the conspicuous example is a large number of companies adopted Zoom without necessarily understanding the vulnerabilities that the platform had. And as a result of that, you ended up with all these Zoom bombing scenarios where unwanted participants would join. And, and then other times when they would post images of the communications and they're giving away sensitive session information that can then later be used. And then just recently, uh, a credentials stuffing attack happened against Zoom, which is where some old list of breached user IDs and password is then used against this new service that just received a large expansion in users. And unfortunately, because organizations are not always doing a great job of communicating their password policies that you shouldn't be using the same password for other services, you shouldn't be recycling passwords, you definitely shouldn't be using personal passwords in corporate networks. Well, because those types of policies and procedures are not necessarily effectively communicated, monitored, and, and implemented, that credential stuffing turned out to be extremely effective. And interestingly enough, universities were some of the, the biggest victims in this, this latest uh, attack of credential stuffing against Zoom. Is all of this applied to non-for-profit organizations equally compared to, uh, say, commercial businesses? Yeah, the cyber threat landscape, um, unfortunately, is is pretty non-discriminatory as far as what, what attackers are looking for. I mean, there are sectors that face especially high amounts of risk, right? Uh, any organization that has large amounts of, of financial information and large amounts of uh, health information is especially a target of attackers. Well, there are certain not-for-profits, for example, uh, academic institutions, but also health-related organizations 
that do have a lot of this type of sensitive information. And so they also uh, become the target uh, of cyber attackers as well. So yes, the not-for-profits and for-profits alike face a similar cyber threat. Although, unfortunately, sometimes the not-for-profits have different amounts of, of resources that they're able to use to defend themselves. Well, let's turn to all the online cloud services that are holding a lot of this data so the remote workers can access their data from home just as they would from the office. Are these cloud-based storage services such as Microsoft OneDrive and Google Drive, and there's others that firms are relying on so much for remote workers actually safe? Are there risks involved with using those cloud-based services? Yeah, that, that's that's a fantastic question, extremely relevant for, for today's environment, right? So it, the answer, of course, is it depends, right? It, a lot of it depends on how it's being used and making sure that you're actually following best practices. Uh, because uh, so many organizations have been adopting cloud services over the past five to 10 years, fortunately, security in these environments has improved in that a lot of the protection measures have now been turned to default on. Whereas if you go back in time, you know, a few years, a lot of those security protections were kind of default off and then the user had to turn it on. Things like uh, protection of uh, Amazon Web Services storage buckets is what they call them, you know, that they could be publicly accessed. There was a lot of breaches that happened as a result of that. And now there's a default close kind of protection there. Well, Microsoft, you know, OneDrive or Office 365, Google Drive, a lot of these uh, have protection services now turned on. But it, again, it depends on the way the, the people are using it and whether or not they're maintaining those security measures. And then also, now that you're changing and shifting and migrating a lot of your processing and storage environment, uh, again, the policies and procedures around that need to be implemented, established, communicated to the users. Because if you suddenly have your single source of truth move from what used to be a, a data center on site and now it's in the cloud, well, there can be some processing integrity risk. There can be some migration risk. There can be some issues there as well. And then, of course, since a lot of that sensitive information is being accessed remotely by default now, uh, making sure that you're monitoring the implementation of things like multi-factor authentication becomes that much more critical for the organization. You uh, mentioned managers at the organizations setting out policies and procedures. Well, that sounds good in theory. How can they uh, ensure that the remote workers are actually following the policies and procedures? Yeah, this is this is the uh, the the sort of million dollar question in governance, right? How how do you actually establish a, a relevant policy, and then how do you implement it through an effective procedure, and, and then make sure it's being monitored, right, or, or make sure it's actually being followed? So, of course, this kind of goes back to our our traditional internal control conversation, right? Things like culture, things like tone at the top, count enormously, although indirectly. Uh, making sure that leaders are are communicating the importance of this, making sure they're practicing it themselves, uh, and then making sure that these policies are presented 
in a way where people where the employees actually know how to get to the policies where they receive training on the policies where they're receiving reminders on the policies hopefully at least annually or quarterly but in a contingency scenario and continuity scenario like we're in now, you would suddenly want to put a lot of those policies back in people's attention by reminding them, don't forget, these are our policies related to, uh, let's say, video conferencing. These are our policies related to cloud collaborative workspaces. These are our policies related to passwords, right? So reminding that, bringing that back up, and then establishing also detection uh, procedures, right? Making sure that you have log aggregation and monitoring of what's going on in the environment, making sure that you can now baseline activity in these new environments and, and hopefully have some way of measuring and understanding what's normal activity versus what's deviant that activity in this new environment. And, and of course, monitoring, right, where you actually go in and, and make sure that it, this is traditionally thought of as internal audit, but it, even just on a more hands-on day-to-day operational basis, just making sure that people are actually following these things on a daily basis and communicating to oversight management that, that they need to be monitoring this and, and keeping a, a watchful eye. So checking up on the remote workers that they're following policies and procedures. Now more than ever. Absolutely. Yeah. That gets into some privacy concerns. We're not going to go there in this <laughs> podcast, but, uh, and I'm not sure there's a, a resolution for that. All of this is sort of technical and a bit complicated. If you had one piece of cybersecurity advice that you would give for businesses and non-for-profit organizations, what would that be, Rob? Right. So without getting into any technical specifics, the, the sort of best advice is prioritize your efforts, right? Now, as always, but now especially Resources are limited, time and attention is limited. So you need to make sure that you're addressing the highest risk things first and with the most attention. And the best way to do this is with a risk assessment. So risk assessments can be extremely uh, involved and complicated, or they can also be updated in an ad hoc and intuitive way. And that neither one is right or wrong, it's just right or wrong for the scenario, right? So if you need, to update your risk assessment quickly, that is your understanding of which things are most sensitive and, and where the biggest threats are, then maybe to do that in a little more lean and streamlined way now so that you have the immediacy of the results uh, would absolutely be appropriate. And the best way to start a risk assessment is with an information asset inventory. Just know where the most sensitive data is, especially if it's moving from one place to another right now. After that, you can layer in your defenses. You don't need to have some kind of, of silver bullet approach. You can have multiple layers so that there's contingencies when certain things fail. And you can do that through prevention measures and, and detection measures. And then back again to the, uh, to the idea of monitoring, making sure that after, after you've put in these measures, you're checking to see that indeed they're being uh, implemented and effectively followed. I imagine that this is easier to do for larger organizations and for smaller and medium-sized organizations, it's a bit more challenging because of limited resources and expertise internally, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because while 
larger organizations have more resources, absolutely. They also potentially can face more complex uh, threats and also more internal complexity as a result of you know, the number of people and nodes and, and different things happening in their environment. So the risk has the potential to scale. Uh, the, the easiest way to use scaling to your advantage is to take a, a principles-based approach through some kind of well-established, understood, acknowledged, tried and true security framework. NIST, the National Institutes of Standards and Technology, produces uh, a very large, robust framework and, and a lot of, of control activities for, for very large organizations. But then they also produce a separate, extremely scaled down framework for cybersecurity for small businesses that instead of 500 different points to check against, it only has 12 main concepts to check against. And, and each of those can become a little more robust, of course, but again, these, these things can be scaled to the size of the organization. Okay. So kind of at the root of this first step is perform a risk assessment. And then that gives an understanding of where the risk lie for a particular organization and then move on from that result. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it really just helps you put first things first, keep your eye on the ball and, and make sure you're paying attention to exactly that right thing and, and that you know where that right thing is, the most sensitive data. All right. Well, good. So right now where we are with the COVID-19 pandemic, the governments and the leaders are looking at relaxing some of the lockdown procedures and other restrictions we have as businesses and non-for-profit organizations look toward the future and plan to resume operations. I don't know if we'll ever get back to normal, maybe the new normal. What are some of the sources of cyber risk that these businesses are going to face and they want to address at this point? Yeah, this, this is this is going to it is very important right now and going to become even more important uh, in in the next weeks and months, right? Uh, it, so something very important to keep in mind and and a lesson to keep with us as we as we move into this next phase of of planning the the recovery of operations is that cyber threats are obviously not limited to computers, right? I mean, we we saw that uh, this event with human health, a human virus, not a computer virus, ended up disrupting the availability of a large number of systems and caused a cascading of different types of critical processes, which caused a degradation, which opened up to new vulnerabilities and threats. And so the fact that cyber risk is presented not only from uh, computers, but also from things in the environment and things going on with the way humans interact with with these systems and businesses is is an important lesson. So, with that lesson in mind, pulling out that business continuity plan, the business impact analysis that the continuity plan is based on, and going through that with a with a fine tooth comb right now uh, to make sure that you have it updated, to make sure you understand what lessons can be learned and to make sure that you're also going into that recovery section and understanding that it's perfectly relevant for where you are now, uh, that, would be, that would be very germane uh, steps to do right now. 
So if firms uh, relax and we get back to a bit of a normal, there's expected to be hot spots of recurrence of the virus, yes. and there may be some localized lockdowns. So if I, I take from what you said, Rob, that if firms have developed a continuity plan, some of their workers may need to be working remotely again, this is going to address that sort of situation as well as other situations, right? Ideally, it should. And if it doesn't, now would be the time to go ahead and revise and revamp that while the lesson is is clear and fresh. And quite honestly, while the pain is still sort of a, a very effective teacher, while you have those those challenges in mind, you can produce the best, establish and produce the best plans for the future. Okay, we're almost out of time. The COVID pandemic comes with tragedy and loss. Are there any positive aspects from a cybersecurity perspective that you see as a result of these circumstances? Yeah, the, the tragedy is is clear and it's been acute and powerful for everyone. And, and that's not to be made light of. But nonetheless, there are certain adoption of, of technologies and of tools and of environments and additional use of cloud services that a lot of organizations have wanted to do for years or perhaps even decades. And this has kind of forced some organizations to adopt to this change uh, more quickly than they otherwise would have. So leaning into the cloud, making sure they understand effective use of the cloud for their environment, and then implementing more automation where it's possible uh, to kind of automate the most routine tasks and allow people to focus on the more analytical, judgmental, uh, honestly, more enjoyable parts of their job. These changes have been good, and and I think that uh, we can definitely make the most of those changes and, and attempt to kind of go digital first where it's appropriate from from this point on and so that these types of disruptions are managed even more effectively in the future. Our guest today has been Rob Valdez. Thank you for being with us, Rob. Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. What's Happening at FAU Business is part of the FAU College of Business podcast network. Learn more at business.fau.edu slash podcasts. Thank you.